All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Rise Church. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor here. So glad that you made it out today. Hey, if you're a guest with us for the very first time, we're honored that you are here. Hey, do me a favor if you're a family member. Let's welcome all of our first-time guests. Just say, hey, thank you for being here. Come on, make, make some noise. Clap. Let them know. Hey, remember, you were a first-time guest at one point, and so sometimes that's a little awkward, and we don't want it to be awkward in here. So, so glad that you're here with us today. On behalf of my, our staff, and my wife, and I, and just all of our family, and all those who volunteered to come and set up early in the morning for you, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, man, we always invite our guests to come at least three times. Everybody say three times. And here's why. I've noticed that when you go to a place, you cannot get the full experience only going one time. And so make sure you come back at least a couple of times and check us out. Also want to welcome everybody listening to us on our podcast. We have several hundred people who listen to us that don't even come to our church on a regular basis. They follow us on our podcast, and uh, we're growing, uh, honestly, on a regular basis, and people are loving it. So welcome to those who are listening right now on the treadmill or on the way to work. And uh, hey, if you are on Facebook, will you do me a favor? Take your phone out and just check in. Let them know you are here at Rise. Tell them, let everybody know while they're at the beach, you're at church getting some Jesus, right? Because we all need it. And so, hey, I'm so glad that you're here with us today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter number six. We're continuing our series called Best Summer Ever and um, really living the life to the fullest. And we wanted to just talk about, really just pull out some great Bible stories and just teach us, man, some great wisdom that we can learn from scripture and try to figure out how to live our best life. I love that, just kind of living your best life, living your your life to the fullest. And so Nehemiah chapter six is where we're going to be. Before we get in there, I want to give you some context, let you know kind of what's going on. Nehemiah is in what we call the Old Testament. Bible's broken up in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Nehemiah is, uh, is an interesting book because it's really a book that's written about the rebuilding and maybe Nehemiah is maybe most famous about rebuilding the wall, the wall that was destroyed uh, in Jerusalem. And so um, in 539 BC, we see the Persians actually go in and defeat this Babylonian empire. Now, if you were here last week, I talked about the Babylonian empire and King Nebuchadnezzar and we all sang the VeggieTales song. We sang the bunny, the bunny, oh, I love the bunny. All right. So we all sang that song together and that was last week. And so the Persians come in 539 BC and they defeat the Babylonian empire. And what's interesting is the first Persian king, uh, his name was Cyrus. He allows the Jewish people to go back to Jerusalem, back to their home. But the problem is, is when they go back to their home, they realize that it was destroyed. The wall was destroyed. The city was destroyed. And so they're in shambles. And so at this point, Nehemiah, who is a normal man, who is not a prophet, not a king, not a really good, like he's just normal, like he's normal. When I say normal, the Greek word for normal there is, yeah, normal. And so he's normal, just like you and like me. And so he is, um, he is a, what we call a cupbearer in the Persian empire. And so he's a cupbearer for the, the now king Artaxerxes. And so Artaxerxes gets asked by Nehemiah, who is like stressed out and sad because his people and his city is, ter- is like torn down and he's frustrated. And he has the, the courage to go and ask the king to leave. Now, if you, you got to understand that took courage because if you ever asked the king for anything, you took a chance with your life. And so he walks up to him and says, hey, can I go back? And what was amazing is the Bible says that he actually allows Nehemiah to go back and help rebuild the wall. And so that's when we pick it up. It's in verse number 15 is where we're going to be, Nehemiah chapter 6. So we're all, now we all know what happened. Okay, I gave you kind of a summary. We're all up to date, and this is what happens in Nehemiah chapter number 6. And it says, so the wall was finished. Okay, that's the wall of Jerusalem. That's what he's building. He's most known for. On the 25th day in the month of Elul, in 52 days. And I think that's pretty, like, amazing to think, like, in 52 days, uh, 
the thing gets built, and that's pretty awesome. And so, and when all of our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us were afraid, they fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Now, what you need to understand is, is that that's a miraculous thing for the wall of Jerusalem to be built in 52 days. That's a miracle now in our days with permits and like with actual machinery and equipment. You couldn't get that done in 52 days. So then, that's a miracle. So of course, people are looking at it goes like, man, I can't believe they did that. That's incredible. That's a move of God. And so they go on to say, now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites had been appointed, so good, I gave my brother Hananiah, Hananiah, the governor of the castle charge over Jerusalem, for he was more faithful and God-fearing than many. Side note, if you want influence and you want authority, if you want to be a king in your own life, be fearful and faithful of God. Just a side note, that ain't even in my notes. That's free. All right, verse 3. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot and while they are still standing guard. Let them shut the bar doors, appoint the guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their homes. It's interesting. It's, and the city was wide and large. Everybody say wide and large. Yeah, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. That's important. We're going to come back to that. Is that it? Is that all we got? That's it. That's it. Never mind. We're not going to we're going to come back to that because that's where we're going to end. So here's what we realize is that Nehemiah goes back to the city and he sees the wall and it hasn't been rebuilt. It's been destroyed. He starts to rebuild it and he sees and he realizes God was not just building a wall. He was building something else. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to talk about if you have your taking notes and you're writing this down, which you should be because note takers are history makers. That's what we talk about here at this church. Take some note. Even if you throw them away after this, you'll still retain better information. Scientists see that's fancy. I went to college anyway. And so write them down. That way you can remember. But today, uh, the title of my message is more than a wall. I would say more than a wall. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. Thank you that you sent Jesus, your son. Yeah, we're honored to be in here today and lift up your name and learn about your word, God. And I pray that today, Lord, you would speak to us in a way that only you can. And Holy Spirit, you would you would show us something, God. You would take these notes. You would take these words, God. You would make them powerful, transform us, grow us, Show us what it is to be a follower of you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. You know, it's summertime, and, and uh, what's interesting about summer is that, like, I got five boys, and I've just noticed that the longer my boys stay inside the house, the crazier I get. Anybody else like that? You know, you just, just go outside. But eventually, the, the outside is not uh, so great. You know, the outside is, is uh, it kind of gets boring to them. And so we uh, are forced as a family to take family vacations so that I don't lose my sanity. More importantly, so my wife uh, stays normal. You know, my wife doesn't lose her sanity. And so we, we get our kids in our car and we go on family vacations, family vacations. How many of y'all go on family vacations on summertime? You know, just get out. Even if it's not far, you go somewhere. You know, and one year uh, I took my kids, my sons, to a place called Great Wolf Lodge. And uh, Great Wolf Lodge, anybody ever been to Great Wolf Lodge? Anybody? Okay, it's like an indoor water park. Incredible. There's the closest one. I think is in Dallas out here, and, and uh, they're huge. It's just an indoor water park, water everywhere. And, and you know, what I've noticed about water is, one, it's dangerous, but it's also fun. And so you always got to be on guard with your kids. And I have five boys, which means they're everywhere. And so me and my wife, we have to, at this point, we're playing zone. We're, at this point, we're just defense, just keep them alive. That's kind of the goal. You know what I'm saying? Does anybody else have that same defense in your family? Like right now, if I could just get them to 18, I feel like I win. Like, I don't know, you know, just as long as they, they're alive, by the time they get to 18, I feel like I win. So we took them to Great Wolf Lodge, and it's awesome. It's amazing. But in the middle of Great Wolf Lodge, I don't know if you ever know this, but there's this gigantic water kind of attraction. And what the thing is, is it's like a, uh, you walk up into, it looks like a jungle gym. And at the top, it's got a big bucket and fills with water. And then it 
dumps the water out, and you stand there, and everybody gets splashed. Ah! scream but at the top there's two water slides and so my son my son Titus he was uh I think he was like three at the time three years old at the time so he's barely talking he's obviously running around and he's having fun he's like dad three three four years old and he looks at this big water slide at the top and he goes dad I want to slide slide I want to ride I'm like, okay sure son no problem I got you so my wife watches the other four and uh so I take them off you know and it's a fair fight because now she's got four I got one I can handle one she can handle four so I'm walk up there and and so she goes up and so I go up and I'm walking I hold my hand and I get up to the top of the slide and and uh, you know the slide's got this line so we're standing in the line and at the front at the top of the slide there's a little there's a lifeguard and there's a teenage lifeguard who has too much power and too much influence and he's you know he's standing right there and and uh, I'm standing we're waiting in the line and he's letting everybody go so he checks at the bottom make sure there's nobody at the bottom so they don't get hit you know when they get to the bottom and so he lets the next person go the next person go so we get to kind of that front of the slide and my son my little three-year-old son I'll never forget I'm holding his hand and he looks in the slide and he was really excited until he looked into it and at that slide it was dark because right at the front, it turns a corner and it's covered and it looks just like a dark hole you're jumping into, you know? And so he does this funny thing. It was funny. He gets to the front and he's like this and I'm holding his hand and he looks at it and his smile just disappeared and he turned around. I remember what, this is what he did. He looked at me and he goes, no. I said, listen, uh, there's people behind us. You're going on the slide, you know, because I'm a dad. Like, hey, dads, I feel like we're obligated, like, on behalf of men everywhere to force our children into being men too early. You know what I'm saying? And so um, I get them um, to the slide, and, and I'm like, you're going to do it, son. Don't worry. It's going to be all good. So I start speaking life over him. God's with you. Don't worry. It's going to be amazing. And he's sitting in the slide, and I sit him down, and he's like, please don't do it. You know, he's like, I don't, this is free me out and I'm like don't worry son and so we're waiting for the lifeguard to do and as I'm talking to him and I'm encouraging him and I'm loving him because I'm a good Christian father and I love God and I love him and I'm like you're gonna do it the lifeguard I didn't overhear the lifeguard telling me it's time to go so the lifeguard walks up to me and he does this thing he's you know again 13 year old you know too much power kid he walks up and he goes hey and it scared me which then caused me to react in a way that I didn't anticipate. And so I gently put my foot on the back. I did not kick my son. And I put my foot on his back and I, 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 I gently and lovingly in a Christian fashion pushed him out down the slide. And, 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 um, and I didn't know what I had done until I had done it. You know what I mean? And so he hits the corner, and I'm not kidding you. He hits the corner at such an angle and at such a speed. He turns around and goes upside down now as I see him going down. And he's literally terrified, starfishing down the slide backwards. And so it would turn from a scary moment now turned into a nightmare. Have you ever seen your child with so much fear? Because I have. And he was so afraid and he is going down the slide backwards. He's swimming down the slide. He's weaving in the thing. And I'm like, this is not going to end well. And I look down and what makes it even worse is I see my wife at the bottom and she saw the whole thing. And she does this thing. I'll never forget her face. She does, baby, you know what? You, so she's sitting there, and she goes like this. I'm not kidding you. I'm up. I kick him. I realize what's going on. I look instantly for my wife. My eyes catch with her, and she does this that I remember to this day. She goes, what did you do? 
Yeah, she's like, my baby, you know, like you kicked our child down the slide. So he gets down to the slide and he gets to the end. And here's what's even worse is so my son gets down and the other teenagers who, again, have too much power are not paying attention. And now he's in the bottom area of the pool and he's going like this. <laughs> he can't breathe and can't swim. And I'm like, hey, hey. And so I see my wife do some like straight up judo ninja moves through the crowd. She's jumping. She does a high back flip, does a cartwheel, gets over to him, snatches him up. He picks him up. And I remember I run down there. And, you know, at this point, I'm just trying to figure out what do I say? What do I say? And so I get to my wife and she's standing there with my son, Titus, and they both have the same look because my wife looks like Titus and Titus looks like my wife. And so I walk up and I look at them and they both have this confused look like, what's wrong with you? Like, why did you do that? And I said, I said, babe, babe, there's more to the story. I, I promise you only see half of it. And, you know, and then the whole day was here's what's funny. I felt like everybody was judging me because I felt like the whole park because I was at the top. And I felt like the whole park knew what I did. But they didn't know the whole story, you know, because you don't see it from a distance. And sometimes when you read the Bible, I've noticed I just noticed because the, the Bible is a complicated book. And anybody who doesn't tell, who tells you it's not is they don't know they didn't read it because it's it's complicated. I've been studying the Bible for almost two decades. I know that this Bible is complicated. And if you don't read it, when you read it, have you ever read a book and you daydream through it and you don't even remember what you read? Anybody else? Like I do that all the time. It's so frustrating. I'm just start thinking about whatever. Sometimes if you're not careful, you cannot see what what the Bible's really talking about. And sometimes you can see not you really can miss some of the things that God was doing inside of a story that He's writing inside of Scripture and inside of Nehemiah. This is what I found is interesting. Inside of Nehemiah, God wasn't just building a wall. He was building two other things. If you look at it from a distance, if you see it from a distance, if you don't really pay attention, you can miss some of the lessons that are in the book of Nehemiah. And one of the things that he was building other than the wall, I'm going to show you two things today that Nehemiah was building. Two things other than the wall, because again, Nehemiah is maybe most famous for building the wall. He's, he, that's what he's claimed to fame is. That's probably more than anything why he has a book of inside of Scripture. Why was it canonized? God was doing more. He was building more. The first thing he was building inside of Nehemiah was a city. He wasn't just building a wall. He was, he was building a city. I'll show it to you. Scripture says in Nehemiah chapter 7, Now when the wall had been built, right, the city was wide and large, and the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. So the Bible points out that the wall was not just the end game. It was the first step to building the city, that there were going to be houses, there were going to be people, the city was wide and large. And if you're not careful, you could think, oh, it's all about building the wall. No, no, it's not all about building the wall. It's all about building the city. It's just the beginning. It's not the end. It's a step. I remember when I had my kids for the first time, my, my, my uh, wife and I had twins first. We had two kids. I don't know what it's like to have one. We had twins. They come out, and it was like, surprise. <laughs> That's a crazy surprise. Okay, so two come out. And you're like, man, what? Uh, it's amazing. And I remember walking to my, wife, uh, to my mom, and, and you know, they were in the waiting room with my family, and walked up to my mom, and I said, Mom, man, whew, it's over. It's over. She goes, she just laughs, you know, on the way moms laugh. She goes, honey, you just, you just getting started, you know. <laughs> you just getting started. 
And she was right because it was just the beginning. What I thought was the completion was really just the, the start of what was happening in my life. And what we think is the completion, what we think about Nehemiah, we think about, well, the, oh, well, Nehemiah just built the wall. Yeah, you built the wall. But that's not true because you see in chapter 6, the wall is completed. There's 13 chapters in the book of Nehemiah. If God only worried about you, the book of Nehemiah being all about building the wall, he would have stopped in chapter 6. But it was a step. Everybody say a step. And so you and I need to realize that oftentimes when God is doing something in our life, when there's a plan happening, God uses steps. That's why we have next steps in our church. Because we believe that God doesn't build you overnight. Because you didn't get where you got overnight, and it's going to take some time to get you out of where you got overnight, right? And so God has a plan for you. And so sometimes we come in and ask God, God, please just fix us. Fix us overnight. Like, you, like, like you're Cinderella's godmother. Like just boom, you're done. And the problem is, is that's not how God works. God wants to see you walk out of the Egypt that you tend to walk into. And so sometimes when you do that, you, you and I could get confused and we're like, well, God didn't fix me. No, he's fixing you, but he's helping you through, through steps because God's a God of, of step and of process. It's interesting to me that the wall, that Jerusalem needed the wall for protection, for covering. It needed a wall to build a presence. Because that was God's city. And you need to know this. That God cares about San Antonio. God cares about this city. So he's, he's working on this city. This city is not a lost cause. This city is, is God's city. And he's building it slowly, but he starts with the, the wall. And for San Antonio, the wall... In every aspect, as you look at Scripture, from the beginning to the end, God is building the church. And so God's building the local church to become the protection and the, the covering and the, and the presence. So that when the city is being built up, it's protected, it's covered, and it's got the presence of God in it. And so he's building this, this church. You need to know this. That the answer to this city's problems is not government. It's not politics. It's not elected officials. It's Jesus. That you and I, oftentimes, you know what we like to do? This is the Pharisee approach. Let's go after the problems. Let's fix the, the, the fruit. God's way, Jesus' way, the local church's way, let's go after the root. If you fix the root issue, it tends to fix the fruit issue, right? So if we just get God in the city, you don't have to try to fix all the problems with the laws, and you don't have to try to fix all the issues with the people. If you fix the people's root issue, which is their heart, what tends to come out tends to be right. And so God uses the local church, and he uses it in a way to build the wall. And how do you build a wall? It's not complicated. It's not a trick question. You build it brick by brick. Has anybody ever built a wall, an actual wall? Anybody? A fence, a wall? Okay, you know what? I, you, I've noticed that you don't walk up to it and go, all right, uh, wall. We're done. Time to drink lemonade. You, you, you go out there, and there's a step-by-step -step process. You measure, and then, you, and then you, you start to put things together, and you brick by brick or panel by panel or piece of wood by piece of wood, and you, you build it step by step because it's small action after small action that creates a, a, a bigger picture. And that's what I want you to get from this particular part is that Jesus loves to use people 
in a step-by-step process. And great leaders know how to have big picture thinking with small picture action. They know how to think and see, and they just seem to understand, like, I see the big picture in all of this, and yet, in order to get the big picture, I got to do some of the small things. Luke chapter 16 says it like this, one who is faithful in very little, everybody say little, is also faithful in much. Now, what's interesting about that is you and I love to live our lives opposite. Those who are very faithful in a lot will be faithful with a lot. Like, we just start off with a lot. God, Like, God, just give me a lot. Like, no, please, I'm ready for a lot. And God's saying, I haven't even given you a little. How do you know you can handle a lot? And so the principle of the steward is to say, I'm going to treat everything, even small or big, and I'm going to know, like, man, after the little comes much, but I got to take care of the little. I got to know how to walk out the step. I love love how scripture says it's the steps of the righteous are order of the Lord. It's not the leaps of the righteous. Leaps of faith aren't biblical. Uh, People talking about like, well, I took a leap of faith for God. Okay, you could do that, but that ain't in the Bible. Steps of faith are biblical. Because God doesn't want you to do something that you're not qualified, connected, or able to do without him. And so oftentimes we'll do stuff and we'll blame God for it. And you're like, well, God, I took a leap of faith for you. Don't take a leap of faith. God's not asking you to take a leap of faith. Take a step of faith. Walk in the direction you're trying to get to. And oftentimes, your promise and God's promise is on the other end of a step. That's how we planted this church. I remember when my wife and I sat down to think about planting. We didn't even know San Antonio existed, to be quite honest with you. I knew the Spurs existed because they just always beat on my teams, you know what I mean? And I'm not going to tell you what to, I love the Spurs now. I'm a Spurs fan. You know, you can't not love the Spurs. Like, you, you didn't want to have a church, Aaron? You're going to be a Spurs fan. And so, um, but we didn't even know San Antonio existed. So, you know what we did? We felt like, man, God put in our heart. If you, if you checked out, check back in. This is important. God put in our heart to plant a church, a life-giving church in a city. We didn't know it was going to be in San Antonio. And then my pastor told me to come down and check it out. He said, you know, Aaron, I was just there. I felt such a a good presence, and I know that a life-giving church is needed in that area. There's so many people, and you should go check it out, which, by the way, I would not be here without my pastor. I would dare to say that spiritual authority is needed in all of our lives if if you want to get to your destiny. And so we took a step and we came down and visited. You know what our step was? We visited. We had like multiple God moments. I'm not kidding you, y'all. We're sitting in local coffee and people walking up to us asking us if we're going to plant a church out of nowhere. I was like, you're like, well, you're a pastor. That happens all the time. That never happens to me. So we, we, we took a first step to move to San Antonio. That's what we did. We first moved to San Antonio. That was our first step. And then we get here and we're like, now what do we do? We took another step. Oh, we took another step. We, we, we started meeting with people. We started meeting with people at the YMCA. I started talking to people in the bank line. I, I was at gas stations. I went in. Instead of paid at the pump, I just talked to the gas station attendant. I started, you know, meeting with people. I coached a basketball team. I didn't know, y'all, you, you, Aaron, you know about basketball? No, I don't know about basketball. I was coaching basketball. I didn't know how to do it. I'm coaching off an app. You know, I'm like, hey, how y'all do y'all? Y'all go ahead. You know, my kids are running around double dribbling the ball. They ain't never play no basketball. It's like, we don't know. We play baseball, you know, or football. 
And so we start meeting people and we started connecting. And then we go, okay, well, what's our next step? So then we make a launch date, right? So then we're like, okay, we're going to make a launch date. Now we got to figure out when we're going to launch. And so we create this date where we're going to start our church because we're going to like, well, okay, well, then how are we going to do that? Like, how do we even make this thing? So we started taking steps into making a launch date. Then we had to figure out, okay, so what, we're going to have to get some equipment. So then we had to buy equipment, right? So then we're taking another step. And so y'all see where I'm going here with this? So like, you, you can't just say, hey, we want to have a church. And then one day this happens. You take a step. And so we take our next step and we buy equipment. And then we, we figure out, okay, we're going to need to practice this thing out because we don't want to get up here and me with a karaoke machine and coming up here with like going, hey, we hope everything's going well. We don't care about transitions and we don't care about music. And we don't care about lights and the environment and is the air conditioning on and we, we don't have the chairs to look at and what do we have kids and we, all this stuff. So we start doing practice services and then, and then guess what? We launch. And so we launched last October and it's like God's doing some amazing things. We launched with one service at 1030 and it was awesome. And so we come up here and I get up on this platform and a dream had been realized since I was 12 years old when God said, Aaron, you're going to lead a great flock and just take a step and just be faithful. And I stand up here and I'm crying because I'm a big, you know, softy and I'm crying with my wife. Oh, we got this I can't believe that God's doing amazing things. We took a step and then we stopped and we go, well, we're done. No. We took another step and we said, well, we need to figure out how to get people involved and get people connected and how they're going to know how to, what we believe. And so we said, okay, then we're going to make next steps. So we got to create the next steps class because if you want to get involved and you want to find out what we believe and how we're doing this and want to get part of the, what we call spiritual family, I say spiritual family. Yeah, if you want to be part of the spiritual family, then you want to get next steps. So then we create that step, and that's the step. that Then we figure out, like, man, we got teenagers everywhere, teenagers over here and teenagers over there and teenagers everywhere. And so we're like, oh, my, we, we got to do something. And I was a youth pastor for 10 years, so I love the next generation. And they are not like, hey, they're not one day going to be leaders. They're leaders right now. And so they're leading. And so we're like, we got to start a youth ministry. And so we started a youth ministry, and they start connecting. And I love this last week. We're, they're doing, like, these uh, amazing connect moments. And we got four, 30, 40 kids inside of our youth ministry. It's awesome. And so we're like, doing that so we took another step and then we're like hey we all need to get connected that youth group that that's awesome so we took a step into starting small groups and so small groups started up and we didn't want to start them because we wanted to train the small group leaders so that you when you walk to a small group and you went to a small group you didn't walk in and go this is awkward because I've been in those small groups where you walk in and there's one dude with a ukulele in the corner singing, you know, uh, Lord, I lift your name on high. I'm like, where, where, where did you get that? And he don't know how to sing and he don't even know how to play on the key. And there's some other dude holding snakes in the corner and you're over there and it's like, this is just weird. And so we qualified our small group leaders so that when we took a step, come on, everybody say step. So we took a step to make sure you, when you walked into a small group, you weren't getting weirded out. You're welcome. So then we did that, and so we just did small groups, and then we launched in the end of the year. We realized, man, there were so many people. There people over here, and there's people over there, and there's people everywhere. And so we're like, wow, this is, like, amazing, and this is awesome, but the only people who like crowds are me because I'm the pastor, and I like, but you, you all go to the movies. You don't really like having people next to you. And so we're like, we need to create space because there's more people coming in. So then we went to two services, and we went to what we do, 930 and 1115, and we're like, yeah. And guess what happened? When we took a step, God showed up. And every step that we took, God showed up. We moved to San Antonio, God showed up. We started meeting people, God showed up. Make a launch date, come on, practice service, God showed up. Launch, God showed up. Next steps, God showed up. Two services, God showed up. So we're like always consistently asking ourselves, what is the next step? And so um, the big announcement today, so you know, y'all have your notebook out, you ready? You ready to Facebook Live it or whatever? Um, God is, I spoke to our board and my pastor and our staff and our leaders, and our next step is three services, y'all. That's our next step. And so, um,
And here's why. Because God called us to start a life-giving church in San Antonio. When I didn't even know San Antonio existed. We didn't know one person when we moved out here. We have right now, on average, I think 430 people coming to a weekend service on our weekends. 90% of the churches in America right now are 85 people and smaller. 90%. God is doing something special here. And it certainly ain't because of me. You all know that. It's like, well, it ain't because of the pastor, that's for sure. And, and the best thing that we could do to steward the little things and they become much is you take care of what God has given you right now. And you are God's people. This is God's church. It's not my church. You're not my people. And if it's God's church and if it's God's people and it's God's vision, then I'm just here to steward it. And he's handed us the vision of three services. But you know what's funny? It's not going to stop there. <laughs> just isn't. It just isn't. And, 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 and here's why. Because it's not my vision. It's God's vision. I always find it funny how people like, um, you know, some people are like down. I was talking to somebody the other day, and we were talking, and they were like, you know, I don't know if I like, you know, growing big churches. I'm like, wow, you really wouldn't have liked the first church in Acts when they added 3,000 that day, the first mega church. You're kind of down in the, the church of Jesus Christ. And I get what they're saying because I think at the end of the day what we don't want, the fear is, is we don't want it to feel large. But I've been in big, big churches that feel small and feel community-based. It's not the number. And it's not the size. It's the spirit. And when my wife and I started a church, we felt in our hearts that we could create something that grew, that was healthy, that was life-giving, but did it in a way that honored people. And we wouldn't do it perfectly because we're not perfect. But we would do it in a way that honored the, the vision God has for us here. If we want to follow God's vision, it's not we can't get bigger. We must get bigger. We must create space so that people could come into this place and hear the same life-giving message for every friend and every neighbor and every coworker and every boss and every family member that doesn't know Jesus. Guess whose responsibility it is to reach them? It's not mine. It's yours. My responsibility is to create a safe place for you to bring them in. I say this story on, uh, at Next Steps where I, I, I remember spending so many uh, years trying to reach people for God, and I would spend years reaching them, and then they would finally say, Aaron, all right, I'll come to church. Just shut up about it. And I talked them into it, and I bribed them. I'm like, whatever you want. You want food? I'll, I'll take you to dinner after, whatever, you know? And I brought them in, and we brought them into a church service, and then we walked in, and then it was the worst experience of their life. No one greeted them. Everybody didn't act like they existed. They didn't look like a Christian, so why would we treat them like a Christian? Oh, okay, that makes sense. And then, you know, the worship went on for five and a half hours, and then after five and a half hours worship, the pastor came up. He sang for an hour, and then he was done singing, and then he preached for another four hours after that. And so by the time nighttime came and we started in the morning, my, my friend was kind of like, wow, uh, I, I can't do that. That's a leap. And every time I read the Bible, Jesus walks with people and takes steps. 
And you don't need to manufacture the Holy Spirit. You don't need to manufacture the move of God. He's big enough to do it on his own. But we can create a place. We can create an avenue. We can create an environment. That's the point of our church. In order for us to do that, we have to go to three services. And it's exciting. And it's awesome. Because the church is just a part of the story as he's rebuilding the city. The second thing he was building as I'm wrapping up today is he was building a people. He was building a people. Nehemiah chapter 1, it's interesting. In the first part of Nehemiah, if you go back and read it, he says, the Bible talks about how Nehemiah was depressed, sad, full of anxiety, frustrated, upset. And then you get and fast forward all the way to chapter 9 and how he's passionate about God and he's doing all these things and he's growing things and he's, he's starting to establish kingdoms. And you see like he's pray- literally chapter 9 is almost entirely praise and worship. And so you look at like chapter 1 to chapter 9, what happened? Well, he did something for God. As he was building the wall, God was building him. And so you and I, as we're called to now build the next step, the next brick of this wall that we call the local church, you need to understand and I need to understand that he's not just building the church in the process as he's building the church and as you're building the church and you're building brick by brick, he's also building you brick by brick. And that God oftentimes doesn't, God does, just so you know, God doesn't need process to build things. By definition, God needs nothing. If God wanted a wall, he could have in Nehemiah's day walked up and said, boom, wall, 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 wall. He could have been like Tetris, just boom, 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 wall, wall, wall. Just, oh, it's all over. I mean, walls everywhere. He could have been the Mr. Lego man and made walls by himself. What did he do? He called a man. He involved a man to help build the wall. Why? Because he wanted to build up Nehemiah. He wanted to build. God doesn't need process. We do. You and I need process. You and I need building. God's priority are his people, not his projects. He's not worried about the church, just so you know. The church he's going to build. He's going to build it, but he's going to build it through people. The local church is by design helped by people. And so, no, it's not perfect. But let me just tell you, he's going to continue to build. He doesn't need you. He wants you. That's better. We need process. He doesn't. I noticed the other day I was helping my son. My son dropped Cheerios on the ground in the, in the, uh, the kitchen, right in front of the fridge. I'm like, oh, and that's like the worst sound ever, right? It's the worst sound ever. So he drops the Cheerios. They fly everywhere. And I'm like, oh. Me, Lord. I'm like looking for my wife. I'm like, oh, where's she at? And so I'm like, oh, we got to clean this up. So I walk up and I'm like, son, you're going to clean this. And so I hand him the broom. And have you ever seen like an eight year old sweep before? This is what they look like. If you're not familiar, if you've forgotten or you don't have one, let me show you what an eight year old looks like when they sweep. And I'm like, what are you doing? They're li- he's literally causing more of a mess. And I walk up to him, I'm like, son, you, you realize you're supposed to be sweeping them up, not sweeping them out. They're like flying into the couch, into other, their other brothers. You know, Winston took one in the eyes. I'm like, what are you doing? So I walk up, and I, ha- I realize in that moment, like, God's saying, this is your chance. You got to raise them. I'm like, okay. And you know what was important? So I could have walked up and sweeped that up in like 30 seconds, right? You and I could go, or, or I can develop my son to know how to do it. It took me 30 minutes to teach him how to sweep. Go slower. This is what a a dustpan looks like. We put it into the trash. It goes right here. I love you. And I walk away shaking, right? 
but I don't need process. He did. And so oftentimes you and I can get into the midst of God building something that you asked him to build in your life and then you pray it away. Like, God, I don't want to be in this process. Wait, hold on. I thought you asked him to build you. I thought you asked him to give you the desires of your heart. I thought you asked him to give you a promise. And in the promise, I've just noticed there's a building process. Don't pray away the process. So God's asking us to build this church. And inside he's building the church, he's building us. I want you to know the best thing I ever did for my spiritual life was plant a church. Because I pray a whole lot more now. I have to. Some people I meet, none of you all in the other service, they're hard to lead. And so as a pastor, I'm realizing, man, I got to, I got to, God's building me in this process. And then here's what's going to take in the, for us to pull off three services, what it's going to take is for us to be built, for us to have a process. So I want you to pray right now, God, what do you have for me in this next step? I'm here on purpose. I'm here not on accident. I got a plan in this place. I might be sitting in here because I was invited by someone, but let me just tell you, I'm here on purpose. I'm hearing this because I know I'm called to be a part of this spiritual family. So it could be you just started coming and maybe you come once every six weeks. Now you need to maybe up your ante on how many times you're going to be coming now on a regular basis. Maybe you come regularly. Now you need to up your ante and start getting into next steps. Maybe you've been to the first class of next steps. Maybe you need to complete next steps so that you can start being a part. Maybe you need to finish it so you can start serving. If you serve one right now, maybe you need to start serving two. If God has a plan for our church, we all have a step. And don't pray away the process. Don't ask God to remove it from you. Ask God to sustain you in it so that you can become better. Come on. That's that's what we need to do as a church so that we can get to our next step. And I'm going to close with this thought. I'm done. Philippians chapter 1 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. God is working on you, and he's faithful to bring it to completion. Don't pray it away. God wasn't just building a wall. He was building a city, and he was building a people. God's not just building this church. He's building a city, and he's building a people, and you are a part of it, and we're going to go keep going. And when we take the next step of three services, then we're going to take another step after that, and then another step after that. Why? Not so that I can get celebrated. You don't see my face on nothing. Because we built this thing on Jesus. It started on Jesus. You're not my people. This is not my church. God has the right to walk in and say, a new senior pastor could be in here. So my job is to stay holy, to stay righteous, to make sure that I lead well, follow his vision, and lead the church into the future. That's my goal. So that you can feel honored and you can feel like you have a place. You have a place here. This is your spiritual family. I asked God already. You don't need to pray about it. He told me. He answered. You're welcome. God has big vision for this church. I'm excited. You should be excited. You should walk out of here ready to do cartwheels. Say, we're doing something. Somebody asked me the other day, like, well, man, what if it grows so big? I don't know everybody. Man, I I can't wait for that day. That's what the heaven's going to be like. It's going to be a whole lot of people. I'm at war. There's an enemy, and I don't want him to take one person. You should care. You should matter that there's one empty seat in this church. Don't come to church. Be the church. Go be the church out in your job. Go be the church in your family. Go be the church in your neighborhood. Go be the church to your friends. 
Stop acting like the world. Go be Jesus. Bring them in here. Tell them to hear the story of Jesus and Christ. We created it for them. God can bring it to completion. Let them do it.